Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, open-minded, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles. We're the kind of Christians who like the Bible a lot, but we're not going to thump you with it. We believe in the world-changing power of Jesus and the present-day work of the Holy Spirit to change things. Right now, the whole world is in a process of adapting to new realities, and so are we. Building community and sharing all this love and power suddenly seems like it might become a bit more challenging. But really, how lucky are we that we're facing all this in the 21st century? Throughout the duration of this new world coronavirus order, we'll be doing all of church online, but we're not afraid. We worship a God who is bigger than all of this, who's seen it all before, and will work all things together for the good of those who love him. We love you, and we're here. Stay in touch and enjoy this podcast. With so much to learn about our human condition right now, the commonality of our circumstances, the togetherness in this plight, and so much and yet so little actually happening, what has blown my mind this week is that we're all making banana bread. I suppose it's the combination of the efficient use of aging ingredients that feels so pleasing, and the wonderfully basic pleasure of and comfort found in food, how lucky we are to have it, and the creative and metamorphic joy of combining simple ingredients and producing a previously non-existent thing. I think being or feeling like we're being even a little bit productive is a feeling that we all yearn. I know that personally, um, I am not always feeling like I'm producing brilliantly in my new role of mixed grade elementary teacher. I also haven't even opened my writing project since all this began. The laundry pile is no longer a pile, it is currently a room. And the introverted part of me can't always handle the current role of being a human being with ears currently. I have stopped myself saying, please stop speaking all words to me uh, on several occasions this week. But I can bake a flipping good cake. So bring it on, bread birthday cake competitors, bring it on. We're created to produce, to create, It's part of how we are made, so no wonder we're struggling. But I think this current urge is mixed with something a little bit more complicated and culturally infused. Because, as the swathe of articles and memes being shared this week remind us, it's very, very important that we engage with the emotional responses that we're having about what is happening. As a side note, it hasn't felt like a tiny coincidence to us that we have just finished as a church a series on the holiness of emotional health. If you haven't listened to these talks, I would hugely encourage you to go back to the podcast, particularly one called The Iceberg, which is the first one, which is kind of around the whole idea of seeing our emotions as holy, with a particular focus on how we deal with anger. Also, Alice spoke brilliantly on grief and loss, almost prophetically, given what was about to happen. And that is a talk on which I am building this morning. So do go back and listen to those if you haven't. Since day one, humanity has tried to imprint certain aspects of our cultural realities onto the gospel. That's just anthropologically speaking, 
what we've always done. At the minute, what I believe we're being called to do is to hold in the tension the cultural pressure that we might be feeling to silver line all of this, to look on the bright side of it, and to produce, to progress. Because I think that is at least in part what we're doing, because we are culturally very uncomfortable with grief. Grieving is absolutely part of knowing God. As N.T. Wright so brilliantly put it this week, the point of lament is woven into the fabric of the biblical tradition. Crucially, not just as an outlet for our frustration, sorrow and uh, loneliness and sheer ability to understand what is happening or why. The mystery of the biblical story, he continues, is that God also laments. God was grieved to his heart over his fallen creation. He was devastated when the people of Israel turned away from him. Some Christians like to think of God as above all that, knowing everything, in charge of everything, calm and unaffected by the troubles in this world. But this isn't the picture we get of how God responds to difficulty and pain. In fact, Jesus' life, death and resurrection is centred around how he rages with and agonises with us about the broken state of our world. So grieving right now is something that in order to be with him, we need to do. This is a talk that I've been bursting to give, but first Sarah is going to read from Romans 8 for us. Romans 8, 18-28 I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. On Sunday this week, I was enjoying an uninterrupted four seconds drinking coffee in my bedroom when I heard a very shrill, very serious sounding scream. A bird, it turned out, had flown into the house and was flapping around, desperately trying to escape. Now it so happens that one member of our family has a lifelong origins unknown phobia of all birds, probably rooted in a childhood exposure to the greater flying rat known as the London pigeon. Anyway, Ed arrived on the scene first and he sent the hysterical child upstairs and uh, he calmly began the gallant bird freedom operation. Well, I comforted said child. This happened for a while, long enough for me to have the conscious thought trapped bird stuck in a house 
a scared, trapped bird, not knowing how or where its freedom's gonna come from. Birds are this symbol of, of the worry-free life that we're supposed to live. And here we have one um, flapping furiously, not knowing that its gallant freedom fighter is trying to help it. And this feels all very prophetic and analogous, and I wonder what it means. It'd been going on for a while, and the child was calm, so I decided, having heard Ed say the words, where'd you go, little bird? that I would trot downstairs to help. And when I say trot, I mean run at such a pace that my feet could not stop in the millisecond between seeing that Ed was looking directly at the step below me as I turned a corner on the staircase. I then heard a cheep and then I felt feathers and bones under my bare running foot. And I screamed and that's an understatement it was a noise that I am not sure I have ever made before. And then I found myself, seconds later, hunched in the corner of another room, having pushed past Ed, sobbing, on my hands and knees. I believed I had just killed the little bird, my prophetic, sacred, scared little bird, that I had been trying to help, under my bare o fish foot. And I was having what I would describe as a release of emotion, that was completely involuntary, one that I would never choose to do in such a rural way in the presence of my daughters. But I was under the belief that I was a bird murderer and it was just the straw that broke this mama camel's back. And as I understand grief, that loss of control I experienced is something very typical of the process. The sense of just snapping, um, of huge overreaction, of being hurtled between different strong emotions, of unexpected release. Uh, sometimes it looks like anger, sometimes it looks like sadness, so it can be other things. And in some ways it's really helpful to know that was what's going on. I'm in a grieving process right now, as we all are. But I can't say it felt okay in that moment. It was an experience of creation groaning beyond the, which I felt I could bear. I haven't just shared this story for catharsis. I will return to the bird in a moment. This passage in Romans is, in Paul's words, a pretty decent description of the current world we find ourselves in as Christians. Our present sufferings are real, but something else is coming. Something else that the whole of creation, not just humanity, but the whole of the cosmos is waiting for. Tsunamis, weapons of mass destruction, miscarriage, Joey Exotic, and the coronavirus. Every instance of brokenness and abuse, pain and suffering is a result of the cosmos not working as it should do. Paul is clear here that we're in the in-between stage of all this. Jesus has set us right with God, liberated us from our bondage to decay, but there we're still waiting but we're still waiting for the time when humanity will take its place as God's image bearers, as the wise stewards of creation that we're always meant to be. A time for which I think we all understand very well right now. The whole of creation eagerly longs. And if we're going to understand this already finished yet still waiting for era in which we find ourselves, or the now and not yet of the kingdom of God, <clears throat> as you may have heard it described before, there are a couple of vital things that we have to get our heads around. Firstly, there is tension at the heart of this. In fact, the whole of the Christian life is lived in this tension. 
I think that's part of what makes the whole thing so difficult. Because we don't like tension. Most of us prefer clear black and white truth and absolute knowledge of what the right thing is. It's the kind of tension we feel in any situation where we feel that there is right on both sides of an argument and we've got to choose between it. It just feels gross. Or to put it another way, does God heal? Yes, absolutely yes. I've seen it happen, yes. Does God sometimes not heal? Yes, and everyone dies. The tension at the heart of our faith feels, I believe, very central to how we can let ourselves grieve healthily right now. We worship an all-powerful, all-loving God and his creation is groaning. Attempts to solve this problem are called theodicies. Church history is full of them. A framework for life based on black and white truths are, I might add, easier for pastors and teachers to build than an ongoing culture that is comfortable with tension. But there is no satisfactory answer to this question because wherever you locate the existence of suffering first happening, whether with a fallen humanity, the devil or the will of God, it all leads to the same thing. A good and powerful God who created everything designed for freedom, a vital component of love, and so allowed for the potential for suffering. In our current predicament, a theodicy might sound like this. Coronavirus is all part of God's plan to bring change, or his long-term plan for humanity, or he's allowing this virus so he can re refine us. But the idea that a pandemic, as with any instance of suffering, is his plan for us, is problematic for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because of the way his perfect love is described to us throughout the Bible. God loves us now, here, as we currently are, in all of our crap, unconditionally and fully. The Bible is very clear about the fact that perfect love is incapable of manipulation or control, even for beneficial ends. He no more creates suffering for us in order to refine us than he sends bad things to punish us. As we often say, if Jesus loves teaching us lessons by sending us suffering so much, why did he spend so much of his time on earth taking it away? And anyway, taking the punishment for us was kind of the point of the cross. Secondly, it's not in God's nature to cause bad things. He just can't. He is unable, but he will use anything. The truth is, God will use anything to refine us. He can use the horriblest situation to bring good. And we've got that right here in the passage. Verse 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And so we sit in the tension of now and not yet. But in verse 24 and 25, in this hope we have been saved. We hope for what we do not yet have. And going on to verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Creation groans and the Spirit groans too is with us in the pain, laments, 
intercedes with us, has compassion and empathy and full knowledge of our circumstances. In the midst of our weaknesses, he shows us what a right response to the brokenness looks like. In fact, a few verses later, it says this. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He meets us in it. All the brokenness of creation cannot separate us from God's love because he has brought his love to us. You want to know what God is saying with coronavirus? He's got the same answer to coronavirus that he's had for a couple of millennia. Jesus is the answer. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he lived a life of no material wealth and he didn't have a home or a shelter. He came to heal the sick, feed the hungry, give sight to the blind. He spent his time with the poor and downtrodden and spoke God's word of favour to them. He didn't turn away from suffering, but he actually got right into the middle of it. He showed us in every way what it looks like to be healthy as he expressed unashamed, unembarrassed, unrestrained emotion. Out of him pours the full range. He wept, he got angry, he's astonished, he wrestled, he longs, he cries out to God for another plan. He was overwhelmed with sorrow. He laments and he allowed his friends to see it all. He took everything that is wrong about the world onto himself. The very people who turned their back on him, rejected him, spat on him and nailed him to a cross. The injustice of the wealthy doing nothing to help the weak, the injustice of child abuse, the injustice of cancer, the injustice of unavailable respirators and racist backlash and premature death. He bears the judgment for all of it. And it crushes him and his final words are these. It is finished. What he means is this. This is the beginning of the end. This is where the war is won. The battles may be ranging all around, but because of what he did from that moment in time, the world is a different place. That bird that I thought I'd killed, I like to believe it's the one cheeping so loudly right now. It turned out it was fine. It was stunned, as you'd imagine it would be. But Ed picked it up and stroked it and took it outside and it stood up and flew away. And then he joined the girls in comforting me. Even the knowledge that it was fine didn't stop my tears for quite some time. We do not worship a God who says nothing bad will ever happen to you. How could we possibly argue that with a creation groaning the way it is right now? We do not follow a God who says, bummer, what a mess the world is, if only you'd stop screwing it up. We worship a God who weeps, who knows, who carries it with us, who came down himself to bear it for us and be with us in it and ultimately to change the course of it all forever. The king is on his throne in the kingdom <clears throat> and the kingdom is rushing in. We are promised 
whoever we are, wherever we are, that when we lose things, when we mourn, that we are blessed and that we will be comforted. And over time comes the powerful, authentic, money can't buy it, gold dust that God weaves out of all pain we ever endure. Closeness to him, wisdom, kingdom perspective, compassion, and even joy. Our holy grief doesn't turn to despair because we know that the end of the story. And we know even in the midst of it, what it looks, of, in the midst of what looks hopeless, that he is powerful to save, powerful to change, powerful to provide and to heal. And it's why we must pray and keep praying for these things. The Spirit intercedes with us with his own groans and teaches us how to pray and what to pray for as he works all things for the good of those who love him. It felt like a good idea to pray together now the Lord's Prayer. It felt a little bit more than apt. And I hope this will work. It has stretched me beyond the limits of my technical ability with iMovie this week, but let's see if we can do it. Do pray along at home. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Now and forever. Amen. We're going to sing a final song of worship now, um, and I pray that the Spirit would come and fill you with his hope for the kingdom to come, for the kingdom that's here now, the holy hope that he gives us, the hope for the world that is in Jesus. Come Holy Spirit in our homes now.
Spirit.